What this is on page in here, it's on page uh, one sixty-five. And this only has it in Hebrew, which is another drawback of some of the Sidurim we have here, that they're only in Hebrew, and a lot of people don't know what they're saying. Um, so we, we, you know, we, we graduated from Sidurim that had Persian in them that nobody knew how to read, uh, except the older folks that learned how to read Persian. Uh, and now we're up to Sidurim that have Hebrew that everybody knows how to read, but nobody understands what it means. Or, or very few. Yeah, yeah, we have the Orot Sidur, which is very good. So, but it, we, for this, I think it'll be okay with my own um, uh, imprecise and uh, amateur translation that I'll offer you. But the, the, um, this Mizmor was written by David Amelech, because it says, Mizmor Shir Chanukat Le David, which the simple meaning is Le David means written by David. And it doesn't mean a guy named David on the street, it means David Amelech. Right? So when it says, Mizmor Shir Chanukat Le David, now, the thing is, David did not actually live to see the consecration of the Beit HaMikdash. He did it. Chanukah means dedication. How do we know that? Because we know the holiday Chanukah. And what is Chanukah about? It's about the dedication of the Beit HaMikdash after it had been defiled and desecrated by the Greeks. So Chanukah is dedication. In the case of, Chan- of the holiday, it's a rededication, but the meaning is dedication. So Mizmor Shir Chanukah Tabayit Le David is a psalm, a song for the dedication of the house. Okay, the house meaning the Beit HaMikdash, okay, which is uh, by David HaMelech. Now, even though David HaMelech did not have the opportunity to witness the building of the Beit HaMikdash, he still prepared everything necessary for the proper running of the Beit HaMikdash, which he envisioned taking place uh, after his death, you know, under the leadership of his son Shlomo HaMelech, as it did happen. But he even planned out the, uh, you know, all of the coordination of the Kohanim and the Vi'im and everything, all the songs that were going to be sung and all of that he planned out. And so he was really like the force behind the construction of the Beit HaMikdash, even though physically he didn't have the opportunity to, uh, to build it. So, Mizmor Shechanukatabayit David, this song was for the dedication of the, uh, of the house, meaning the Beit HaMikdash, remembering that... Um, then obviously this was written for the first Beit HaMikdash and the Chanukah is the second Beit HaMikdash but it makes sense that we would read something about the dedication of the Beit HaMikdash on Chanukah because Chanukah is the day that they dedicated the Beit HaMikdash. What's interesting about this Mizmor to me when you think about it and notice that normally when we read this during the week there's a, a, a our Minhag is the Sephardic Minhag is not to read the first line of Mizmor Shir Chanukah Tabayit Le David when you read it in the morning. We only read it on Chanukah. Why? It's a whole other discussion but the, uh, but this is the full text. It is a song for the dedication of the Beit HaMikdash. Let's look at the text and it has nothing to do with the Beit HaMikdash. That's what's, it's so strange. Okay? It's, because like sometimes the, the introductory line of a, of a psalm, of a, of a Mizmor of Tehilim, you expect from it that something in the content of that Mizmor is going to connect to the theme, but it, it oftentimes doesn't. And this is uh, an especially obvious example. Okay, Mizmor Shil Shabbat. At least it talks about Hashem's creation. Okay, then it goes on to talk about other things. But you can tie the theme together. Here, what does this have to do with the dedication of the Beit HaMikdash? Hashem Kidilitani. I will exalt you, Hashem. I will, I will praise you, Hashem. Kidilitani. Dilitani. Is a um, means like lidlot uh, is to draw out of a well, actually, to pick somebody up. Like you picked me up. Hey, I'm praising you. And aromimcha is the resh vav mem. The shorish means also to lift up. 
So I will like elevate Hashem because He picked me up. You did not allow my enemies to be happy over me. Now when are your enemies happy over you? Not when you're succeeding, right? When you're failing. So meaning you didn't allow them to rejoice in my downfall, meaning you didn't let me fall. So that, therefore my enemies could not be happy. So, so David is saying, I'm praising you because you saved me from my enemies. Okay, so far no, no connection to the Beit HaMikdash. Okay, let's, let's look for the connection. Hashem Elohai, Shivate Hashem, my God, I cried out to you. Lishaveh is another word for to pray, to supplicate, to pray. And you healed me. Okay. Hashem, Helita min Sheol Nafshi. You lifted my soul from the pit. Sheol means the pit of death, usually. Right? It means, it means the, you know, the netherworld. I don't know. It means the, you know, the, the ground. Meaning where a person goes when they die. Chiyitani miyaridivor. You, li- you made me live rather than descending into the pit. And that's a way of saying you saved my life. Okay? You healed me. You saved my life. All of this is wonderful. You didn't allow the... We're kind of going in the order of... Uh, from, uh, from the least invasive to the most. In other words, you prevented me from the humiliation of my enemies gloating over my failure. You healed me. Okay, very nice. You saved me from death. Even better. Right? More fundamental. Then, Zamul Hashem Chasidav, sing to Hashem his pious ones, Vehodu Lezecher Kocho, and praise or give thanks to his holy Zecher, his holy mention, the mention of his holiness, okay? It re- really, it means his holy mentioning. It's like it's hard really to translate that into English, okay? Or, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to translate it in a precise way that, to capture the Hebrew. But um, it, it doesn't mean his whole. It means like the at the mention of, the mention of his holiness. Okay, but he's calling upon other the the pious people to praise God, to thank God, to acknowledge Him, and to acknowledge His holiness. Okay, because it's a moment in his anger. But life in his ratzon here means in his favor. Okay? In the evening, a person will go down to sleep crying. In the morning, he'll be happy. Okay? So he's describing reversal of fortune, basically. And that's so far what he was saying. Because he was saying that his enemies would have rejoiced over him. And he would have died. Or he would have been sick. Or would have fallen into the pit. And instead he was saved. So everyone should praise God and His holiness. And acknowledge His holiness. Because you know what? Uh, his anger is only a moment Meaning the bad things that happen in life are momentary But life is in his favor Meaning once a person finds favor with God It's, you know, it's, it's something lasting You know, you might go to bed crying But in the morning you'll be happy Okay, see, still don't see one mention at all Of uh, anything with the Beit HaMikdash here And I said in my comfort I will never falter. Meaning I had a st- sense of stability and peace. Hashem you have uh, you have established my strength meaning to the mountain. Okay? It means you have given me you've given me strength. 
Had you hit in your face, I would have been bewildered. I wouldn't know what to do. Okay. So meaning Hashem gave me strength and it was because of Hashem that I was able to accomplish what I accomplished and without Him I would have been lost. I call out to you Hashem Hashem and I supplicate to Hashem meaning when I'm in trouble and I need help. What benefit is there in my blood? If I go down to destruction, will the dust praise you and acknowledge your truth? Right? Will the dust tell of your truth? Meaning if I die, who will tell of your truth? Shema Hashem Hear me Hashem and find favor with me. Hashem be my help. You changed my sadness and my mourning into machol, into dancing. You opened up my sackcloth. Sackcloth is something you wear when you're sad and you're in trouble or you're, you're mourning or in crisis. You took off my sackcloth and you girded me with joy. Meaning it's like using the metaphor of clothing. Like as if, just it's as if like you took off my mourning clothes and you put on my happy clothes. Okay? So that my soul, kavod here seems to mean my soul. Like kavod velo yidom. My soul will praise you and will not be silent. Hashem Elohai Leolam Odeka. Hashem, my God, I will forever praise you or thank you or acknowledge you. Now, what does this have to do with the Beit HaMikdash? It's very nice. This was my very loose translation. I you know, it's probably not exactly precise. I'm just getting the gist of it, okay, without going into every word and the possible interpretations. Because with all of this, like with any poetry in any language, there's a million different interpretations of some of the words and how exactly it's supposed to flow and so on. So I'm giving a little bit of a loose translation, but just to give you a sense. The, the, the basic sense of it is that David HaMelech is talking about the trials and tribulations that he's experienced and that he, Hashem has been his help. Hashem has been his source of salvation. Hashem has gotten him out of trouble. Hashem has been there to help him. Whenever he's been in trouble, he's turned to Hashem and he praises Hashem and he calls upon other people to praise Hashem because even though sometimes things have been bad, Ultimately, they've always turned out to be good. And what benefit is there anyway in him being destroyed? Because who will tell of the praises of Hashem? What does this have to do with the Beit HaMikdash? Very nice sentiments, okay? We, lo- we love the message, but what does it have to do with the Beit HaMikdash? Why, shouldn't he talk about the uh, beauty of the Beit HaMikdash? Shouldn't he talk about the beauty of the service of God or something? I mean, why is he talking about this? Talking about his personal problems, you know, and how he was saved from all these personal problems and struggle, struggles. That's how you're dedicating the Beit HaMikdash? You would expect a psalm that is dedicatory for the Beit HaMikdash to somehow try to capture something about what the Beit HaMikdash means, what the service of God means, sanctifying God's name. I don't know, something related to the, uh, uh, the significance of the Beit HaMikdash, of having a, a, a home for the divine presence. I mean, what does this have to do with it? Talking about his personal problems and how Hashem has come to his aid. So what, what, what is really the... Uh, the, the connection here, I mean, to the Beit Hamikdash in general, and then of course the the dedication of the Beit Hamikdash in the times of the Chashmonaim is going to be related to the renewal of this idea. But what's the idea? I mean, well, what is the what do these sentiments have to do with the Beit Hamikdash? Any guess? Any thoughts? At first, it seems to have no connection at all. It's a good idea. I mean, 
it's it's true like what you're saying is true but i feel like that could be applied like to almost anything you know that's what i'm saying it's so general that's that's part of the problem it's so general it's like yeah all holidays like there's an old joke that every holiday is they tried to kill us we you know they lost we let's eat or whatever you know it's like every single holiday is about non-jews trying to kill jews and the jews survived so you could say that about the Beit HaMikdash too. Well, or in the case of Hanukkah, yeah, they wanted to destroy Judaism. They lost. We won. We got the Beit HaMikdash back. And now we get to, have a, we get to eat uh, jelly donuts. All right, so, so the, uh, it, but but that's, that's so generic. It's like, well, and anyway, David HaMelech didn't know about Hanukkah. He's talking about his, the Beit HaMikdash in his time, right, that was about to be built. So what is the connection between this idea of his personal sense of, uh, being saved by Hashem from trouble or overcoming difficulties or enduring suffering or problems or saying Hashem's anger lasts a moment meaning that sometimes there's trouble in life the anger of Hashem means sometimes Hashem you know chastises us there's, things don't always go your way but ultimately the good is greater than those moments of, uh, uh, of despair Right, Chaim the When you have favor in God's uh, eyes, then it's it's life. It's 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 wonderful. So that's the that's the positive side of it. Is is better than the negative. Or you'll go to bed one night uh, being sad, but but in the morning you're going to be very happy. So meaning it's going to be over by the morning. That's the idea. Not that oh well, well you're going to go to bed sad and then in the morning you're going to be happy and then the following night you're going to be sad again. That's not what it means. It means that the the sad things last for a short time and then the happy things are more lasting, right? They're they're, they're going to be more permanent. They're, meaning that the that the sad things will be only a temporary uh, condition as opposed to the uh, the joyous things that are more uh, enduring. Okay, that's the idea of the. Um, of what he's trying to get at. But why does that relate to the Beit HaMikdash? So seemingly, seemingly, um, I think one of the key points here is what he injects in the middle of it, which is he says, twice he says this. He says, first of all, when he describes his own being saved by God, he says, that he calls upon the pious people to praise God and recognize his holiness. Because from his experience, his personal experience, he universalizes from the personal experience. It says, Because it's only a moment in his anger, but it's life when you find favor with God. And now he's not speaking in the, um, in the first person. He's saying a person will go to bed crying, but will wake up happily. Okay, the idea is that he's calling upon people to recognize what is general and universal in his experience and to apply that to themselves. But it's more than that. It's that what is the purpose of God's salvation? And that's what he gets to. Because then he says, What would be the benefit of my blood if I were to be killed? Will the dust tell, will the dust praise God or tell of his truth? And then at the end it says, So that I will praise God and never stop. Hashem my God, I will forever praise you. In other words, the idea is that you transform whatever salvation you experience into an opportunity to praise God. And that's the, that I think is the main point of this, of this uh, Tehillim that he brought here. That whatever experience you have in life, 
has to ultimately be a road to your acknowledgement of Hashem in some way. Some, in some way or other, it brings you back ultimately to an awareness of God, even if it's God chastising you. Because those moments where things are difficult for you, it's an opportunity to learn something from it and come closer to God. But ultimately, the benefit of that learning that you did and that insight is much more significant and long-lasting than the momentary suffering. And the moment that you're suffering, it seems like forever, but... When a person gets through a difficult time and then is able to see the light at the end of the tunnel, it's much better, right? And it's much more enduring than what they went through, which was a difficult bump in the road. And when you look back into life, and everybody has this, you'll have dark periods in your life and you have uh, periods in your life that are more pleasant. And when you look back at the dark periods, you realize that there are things that you learned and things that you gained from those times that have enabled you to do better um, at, at, in, in, in the future, but at the time that you were going through the very difficult struggles, it didn't seem like that. It seemed like the struggles were going to be endless, but ultimately it was like you went to bed at night crying and you woke up in joy, meaning eventually the circumstances changed. You changed from your experiences. You were able to handle things better. And through that anger of Hashem, so to speak, through those challenges, you became the person who was then able to receive the blessings of Hashem. But in the time that you're going through the difficulty, it's very hard to see it. Just like any kind of discipline. When you're disciplined, it's always painful. And your parents discipline you, uh, it's painful. Your teacher disciplines you, it's painful. Ultimately, it, it actually educates you. And then looking back, you say, well, you know, I deserved all that uh, uh, chastisement and it made me a better person. But at the time, it seemed like uh, an endless struggle. So he's saying, really, those things are just temporary and fleeting, those difficulties. And ultimately, they give way to something positive. But what is the ultimate goal of it? The ultimate goal of it is to recognize Hashem, is to be able to see the hand of God and to be able to perceive the holiness of God to the extent of our ability and to praise God to the extent of our ability. That's the purpose, ultimately, of every victory. It's not just that I didn't die, I wasn't humiliated by my enemies. It's not just that I was healed from my sickness. It's not just that I was saved from death. All of those things are true. But it's what am I going to do with that life that I have? And what am I going to do with that honor that I was able to preserve from not being humiliated? And maybe that's why at the end he says, kavod. He calls himself kavod. He calls his soul kavod. So my soul will praise you. Usually that's how they translate the kavod there is the soul of the person. He calls it the kavod, the dignity. My dignity will praise you. Meaning that all of these things that God has given us are to enable us to connect to Him. Because that's the ultimate benefit. The ultimate good is to be connected to Hashem. There's nothing else. There's no other ultimate objective of a person's life than to be connected to God. Because that's what's eternal, is the connection to God. That's what lasts forever. The Rambam has a beautiful thing that he says about the mezuzah. Where he says when a person goes in and out of their house, they see the mezuzah. And it reminds them that there's only one thing that lasts forever, and that's your knowledge and relationship to God. Everything else, even the house, the house seems like it's permanent. It's like the most valuable possession a person has is their house, because it's the most lasting thing. It would seem to be the most lasting thing, but even that is nothing that outlives all of us. Usually our house outlives us, but that's... Uh, but it really, it's, you know, when you, when you have, see these houses that are 150 years old, the person who, lived, who, who built the house died decades ago, century ago. You know, it, it outlived them. That's true for most structures. They outlive the builder, you know? So, but even that, so that gives the person a feeling of permanence, like a feeling of, of absoluteness to their physical life because the, the house is so sturdy and it's so firm. And of course, the sukkah is supposed to remind us, for example, that life is very fleeting. 
that it's, a, that it's an illusion. But the Mizmuzah is also supposed to do that. And that's why the Rambam made fun of the people. I've mentioned it before recently, uh, that the Rambam said that the people who write like things in the Mizuzah to protect them, like names of Malachim and things like that, he says it, it invalidates the Mizuzah, it makes it in- worthless. But he says beyond that, he says the person is taking something that's meant to protect your soul and he's making it into something that protects your body. Everyone thinks the mezuzah is supposed to protect your body. Oh, put a mezuzah on the wall, uh, on the door because it's going to keep everybody oh, safe. And if somebody gets sick, God forbid, it's because of the mezuzah, you have to check it. Oh, Because why? Because they think the mezuzah is to protect the body, the physical thing, because that's what they think is really important. The Rambam says the opposite. The whole purpose of the mezuzah is to protect the soul of the person, that you don't forget what's really important in life. Okay? And, and that's what the mezuzah is supposed to remind you. When you, go out, when you go out of the house, it's usually to go get something, to go accomplish something, whether it's work, whether it's to go buy things, whatever it is. When you come in the house, it's because the house gives you a sense of security and stability and protection, safety, but that's for the body. And that gives you the illusion of some permanence. But he says it's not really permanent. What's really permanent is your relationship with Hashem. That's how the mezuzah protects you. It protects you from the wrong ideas. Not from, the wrong, not from your body. Not, it doesn't protect the body. Okay? So that doesn't make a force field around the house. So the idea is that in the same way, what is, what is David HaMelech saying? He's saying, what is the goal of all this salvation? What do I have? What I have is that I recognize that what good would there be if my, if I, my life ended... If, I, if my existence were terminated, what? Huh? Oh, we're on uh, 30. It's, on, it's here, it's on page, um, we're looking at the Sidor, it's on 165. On the bottom, sorry about that. Yeah, so in, this is the Mizmor of Hanukkah. We're doing, yeah. So in, in uh, so he's saying that there's no purpose in my existence other than to praise you. And if I'm lost, if my life is over, then how am I going to praise you? What is the, and I think that's really the connection to the Beit HaMikdash. What is the Beit HaMikdash? The Beit HaMikdash is supposed to be the center of Jewish life and remind us that what is the ultimate purpose of Jewish life? It's to praise God. It's to sanctify God's name in the world. That's our purpose as the Jewish people and as individuals. It's to sanctify God's name in the world. And so when we, whether it is, when a person brings a korban to the Beit HaMikdash to thank Hashem for saving them, for example, or someone says birkat gomel, which is how we do it today. Today, instead of, we don't have korbanot. So birkat gomel, basically a person says birkat gomel, when a person would have brought a korban in the Beit HaMikdash, a korban toda, a thank you korban, they instead, uh, they instead say birkat gomel. But it's the same concept, that they realize that their salvation, whatever they were saved from, is really another opportunity to connect to God. That's why it's valuable. Right? If you look at, let's say, for example, Yonah, the Navi Yonah who gets swallowed by the big fish in the story of Yonah, when he speaks about, I thought my life was ended, I thought that I was never going to make it out, but now I realize I will once again be able to come to your sanctuary and I will once again be able to gaze upon your presence. He's talking to Hashem. Meaning, that's why I wanted to live. My reason to live was to be able to have a deeper connection with God, not any other reason. So what David Melech is saying is, yes, I was saved and all of that. That's all true. But the real value of my being saved is the value of my existence, which is to be able to praise God and serve God and to elevate my connection to God. That's what it's really about. And so, Mizmor David, if you think about it, why is this then the, 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 the psalm 
that dedicates the Beit HaMikdash because what is the Beit HaMikdash supposed to do? The Beit HaMikdash is supposed to remind us what really our purpose is as human beings and as Jews, which is to connect to God, to sanctify His name, to come closer to knowledge of God and to reflect God's wisdom and truth and goodness in our actions. That's what it's about. And in fact, if you think about it, the Beit HaMikdash is a bait. It's always called Habayit, the house, the ultimate house. Because it's a, because a house is a is not just a physical building, okay? A house is defined by what goes on inside it. Our houses are usually centered on our needs and our desires. The Bet Hamikdash is organized around Hashem. It's organized around focusing on Hashem. Our house, we always say, you know, each every man is the king of his castle. You know that that mentality. Like we're the center of life in our homes. And that's why you can tell what a person's values are from what's in their home. Whatever is most prominent in their home. If you walk in and you see the person has a gigantic bar, what do you know about that person? You don't have to say. You know, but you know something about that person right away. If you walk in and they have a gigantic TV that goes from one side of the room to the other. So what are, you, what are, they, what, what are they focused on? That's very important to them, is the TV. Okay? If they have a kitchen that is seven blocks long, then obviously they love food, whatever. You can tell from what the setup of their house is, what they care about, okay? Um, and, and because it's organized around their needs, they are the center. What is the Beit HaMikdash? It's a place organized around Hashem, focused totally on Hashem's presence and how we can come closer to Him. That's what a real bayit, a real house is supposed to be. And that's what our house really should be, a place which focuses us on Hashem also. But we struggle with that. We have a mezuzah to remind us. We have other mitzvot to remind us. But it's very difficult. We have sukkot to go out of our house and remind us. We try to remind ourselves in all different ways. But it's a big struggle. It's the nature of human being to want to center on themselves. From infancy on, from, from the moment you're born, you want the world to revolve around you. It's like literally a baby comes into the world and, the, and, and it thinks the world revolves around it. And maybe by the age of 120, they begin to realize that that's not true. Maybe. Okay? So it's, it's a constant struggle. So David HaMelech is saying, what is my existence worth anyway? If I live or I die, what is the only difference? Whether God's name will be praised. Ah, that's a different story. So now when you look, that's why the Beit HaMikdash is so significant because it reminds you what is really the purpose of this Jewish nation. What is the purpose of all the salvation that we've seen? Of all the ups and downs that we've gone through and finally we've triumphed. Okay, what good is the triumph? What good is the triumph is that we're going to now create a place that is dedicated to sanctifying Hashem's name. Just like that we see that Avraham Avinu, the story is that once he was saved from the Kibshana Ish, only once he was saved from being thrown into the furnace, right? When he was thrown into the furnace in Ur Kasdim, and then all of a sudden he leaves and he goes and begins spreading the word of God. Why? Because he recognized that if I'm saved, now I have an obligation to use my life to praise God. The Jewish people were saved from Egypt. That means now we have an obligation to use our existence to praise God because we wouldn't be here without Hashem's intervention. So that means we owe it so to speak. Our whole existence is owed to God and is a tribute to God. And that's what David HaMelech is saying. My whole existence was just to praise God. This Beit HaMikdash is an expression of that, that the whole essence of what the Jewish people are is to praise and acknowledge God. And there's a beautiful Ramban actually at the end of Parashat Bishalach, I'm sorry, at the end of Parashat Bo, that talks about this, how the whole essence of the Torah and the mitzvot is 
that a person should acknowledge Hashem, should bring, should raise his awareness or her awareness of Hashem, and and uh, and recognize Him as the Creator, and that all these the mitzvot are to promote that consciousness of Hashem, and and the, and if we look at it that way, then we can see why Chanukah also it fits perfectly, because what is the triumph of Chanukah? Everyone always complains. Why didn't the rabbis talk more about the war between the Syrian Greeks and the, uh, and the Jews? Why do they only talk about the menorah? They only want to talk about the, the, the light of the, Chanukah, the Chanukiah and they want to talk about the Beit HaMikdash because, you know, the Chashmonaim turned out to be bad guys. And, you know, they, later on, not, not at the time of Chanukah, but later on, they turned out to be bad guys. They don't want to talk about... They have all kinds of political explanations for why they didn't want to talk about the war. There's a very simple reason why they didn't want to talk about the war. The reason is because that wasn't the point. And if you read Al-Anisim, you see that that wasn't the point. What was the objective of the Syrian Greeks? They wanted to get rid of Judaism. They didn't want to get rid of Jews. They had nothing against Jews. They just wanted to get rid of Judaism. Okay, they didn't like the ideas of Judaism. They didn't like the practices of Judaism. They didn't like the values of Judaism. They didn't like the teachings. That's what they wanted to get rid of. If If they would have converted to become Syrian Greek culture... They would have been fine with it. They weren't anti-Semites. They were anti-Judaism. Okay? And I, the ideology. So, the Bet HaMikdash was a representation of the Jewish ideology. That's why they wanted to defile it. Okay? They didn't like the idea of a transcendent concept of God. Things that were beyond the material, beyond the physical. They were all about the physical. Fine. That was their ideology. So the, the, the recapturing of the Bet HaMikdash, or the, the triumph in the war, it wasn't a political triumph, you see? If it were just a political triumph, so then yeah, we should be focusing on the war. But you see that that's not the case. What did they want to recapture? They wanted to recapture the Bet HaMikdash. Who executed, who carried out the war? The Kohanim. Kohanim are not soldiers. Kohanim are not the ones that are supposed to fight war. Why are the Kohanim fighting? Because it wasn't really a political war. It was a spiritual war. It was a war about service of God, to restore the service of God. And what was the first thing that they did when they got into the Beit HaMikdash? They purified the Beit HaMikdash of the Greek influences and they reestablished the service of the Beit HaMikdash and they relit the menorah. Relighting the menorah was a symbol of the reestablishment and the reinitiation of the service of the Beit HaMikdash. Why is that so critical? Because that was the whole purpose of the salvation. That was the whole purpose of the triumph in the war. Yes, it was an amazing miracle that they won the war, a tiny group of Jews against the Syrian Greeks. It was a miracle. There's no question. But that miracle alone is not significant in its own right. The fact that they won the war wouldn't have been, it would just have been another winning of another battle. Okay? And okay, there are miraculous battles won. Sometimes small groups beat large groups and it's amazing. The, the, the uh, you know, America won the Revolutionary War against, uh, you know, against the British Empire. Okay, it was amazing. But still, it was just, it's just a war. What made the war of the, against the Syrian Greeks significant was what the purpose of the war was, which was to reestablish the function of the Beit HaMikdash. That was the goal. That's why the miracle that happened of the, of the Menorah happened with in the confines of the Beit HaMikdash, in the reestablishment of the service where they wouldn't have been able to accomplish their real goal, which was reestablishing the service of the Beit HaMikdash, if they didn't have a miracle of the oil, if they only had the limited physical oil that was, that was actually there, so they needed the miracle. But other than that, um, you know, there's no other, we don't do any pirsumanes remembering the war, remembering the battle, because the battle is only a means to an end. The real goal was to be able to reestablish the Beit HaMikdash, which was 
the praising of Hashem, which was the acknowledgement of God, the service of God, and emphasizing the sanctifying of God's name once again, restoring that to its rightful place in Jewish life. That was the goal. And so that, I think, is the reason why this Mizmor is mentioned here. Because yes, it talks about trials and tribulations and overcoming. It talks about difficulties and then uh, giving way to better times. It talks about struggles and then triumph and all of that. But what he emphasizes is all of my triumph, all of my accomplishments, all of my achievements, all of my salvation. Why do I need it? Why do I want it? To be able to praise God. And that's really what Hanukkah is about. It's about salvation, but salvation... Uh, on the battlefield as a means to being able to praise God, as being able to serve God. See, that's the essence of what Chanukah is about, and that's why this Mizmorah really is paired with Chanukah, but really David HaMelech wanted this Mizmorah to be connected to the original Beit HaMikdash, because the original Beit HaMikdash symbolized the same thing about the Jewish people, that what is all of our history really instrumental to, what was it all leading up to, it was all leading up to this moment that we could create an institution that sanctifies God's name on earth for the entire world. And what is, the, what is the meaning of Hanukkah? The same thing, restored, in the case of that battle against the Syrian Greeks. Okay? Did you have a question? I thought you did. I thought you did, but then I thought maybe you didn't. Yeah. Oh, well, I wouldn't say they liked the Jews. I mean, I, I can't speak for them and say they liked Jews. I mean, maybe they didn't, but... Yeah. Right. It's, well, that's just from what they did because they tried to make all kinds of zerot against the mitzvot. They didn't come and kill them. Like, if they, if they rounded them up and killed them, like Haman just wanted to kill all the Jews, like exterminate them like the, like the Nazis. So that's different than the, in Hanukkah where they made all kinds of decrees against observing mitzvot, against observing the Torah, against observing different kinds of commandments that were strategically designed to try to obliterate the religion. Because they thought then it would kind of force the Jews to assimilate. And the truth of the matter is that most of the Jews assimilated. And one of the sad aspects of Hanukkah is that uh, most Jews actually assimilated and many Jews fought on the side of the Syrian Greeks in the war of Hanukkah against their own brethren, the Hashmonaim. And just like today, although back then, most of the Jews were on the side of the Syrian Greeks and probably didn't celebrate Hanukkah because they didn't care, now most of the assimilated Jews also celebrate Hanukkah. Even though had they been alive at the time of Hanukkah, they probably wouldn't have been on the side of the Jews. They wouldn't have been on the side of the Hashmonaim because they wouldn't have cared. Right. Well, because anybody who accept, if you accepted their ideology, they would accept you. You know, meaning like, it's kind of like, uh, I mean, there are examples, like, like there are people today that will say, well, I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm only anti-Zionist. I just don't like Israel. Now, most of the people that say that it's not true. Most of the people that say that really are anti-Semitic. But there are some people who really feel bad for the Palestinians or whatever, and you know, they critique Israel, and they don't really hate Jews. They really don't like the Israel, they don't like the fact that the Palestinians are suffering. Okay, you know, there could be such a thing. So in the case of the Syrian Greeks, it really was that they wanted their culture to be dominant, and they saw the Jewish culture as opposing their culture, and they wanted to get rid of that culture. But it doesn't necessarily mean that, um, that they wanted to kill the people 
for its own sake, like because they were born Jewish because of their DNA, like the Nazis wanted to kill Jews based on their, they thought that, that genetically they were, you know, they were bad because they were Jews. They didn't, they didn't think that way. Haman, yeah. To me, Haman is more like a crazy demagogue that basically he, um, he was, if you read, the way that I read Haman, and, and I'm just, this is my reading, maybe I'm not right, but my, yeah, my reading of Haman is that he really just had a personal vendetta against Mordechai. But it says, he didn't want to admit, right, it, it, it was too degrading to him to admit that he had a personal vendetta against Mordechai. So therefore he said, there's something wrong with all the Jews. They don't observe the laws of the kingdom and therefore we have to kill all of them. In other words, really it was just a, he was like the most, he's like the worst of all uh, bad people because really he just hated Mordechai. He didn't really hate the Jews. But he, he lumped them all together in order to cover for his own crazy personal vendetta against Mordechai. And that's a similar to where in the beginning of the Megillah, he tells Achashverosh, well, somebody named uh, Memuchan tells Achashverosh, oh, you know, don't get, don't only identify Vashti as the problem, because if you, if you acknowledge that Vashti is the problem, so you're really saying that, you know, what a, what a pathetic loser you are, that you can't even, you know, your wife doesn't listen to you and you don't know what to do. Make a law for all of the kingdom, that, you know, all women have to listen to their husband. And so that will make it that, and since Vashti did not follow the law, so she's, whatever happened to her, happened to her. But, um, but it, you know, he didn't want to admit that it was a personal failure that he couldn't control Vashti, so he made a rule out of it. And that's why the rabbis say that Memuchan um, was Haman. Because in both cases, you see that the suggestion that's given is to make a general principle. It's like when they tried to discriminate against him, I think it was in New York, I can't remember. Um, where it was, but I remember in history that they wanted to like discriminate discriminate against the Chinese, who and and many of the Chinese people they had what in this country no 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 not recently no in in the olden days and and they um, and they wanted to prevent them from having businesses and a lot of them had laundromats especially in the old days now I don't know if that's their business anymore but they used to. And so they made like a rule that you couldn't carry like clothes in a certain way over your shoulders or like that, just to make it difficult for them to have their businesses. I forgot the exact details, but like the point was they, they didn't want to say openly that we are discriminating against the Chinese people. They just made it impossible for them to have their business. You know, so it's like, so it, it, it's a way of like preserving my dignity. I'm not so small that I would discriminate against a group of people. No, you know, I would never do that. I'm just saying you can't carry clothes like this. You know, so basically effectively you're discriminating but without saying it. In the same way like, you know, or they would say like, oh, if you can't, if you don't own land, you can't vote. So they knew they were disenfranchising, uh, let's say black people or whoever couldn't own land. Or they would, you know, they, they had all kinds of, or if you can't pass a certain test or you have to read, then you can't vote. Well, if, if you don't allow people to learn how to read and then you make the rule that you have to learn how to read, so you're, you're not saying it, but you're, you're not allowing them. So you can make a rule in order to discriminate without saying it. So really what Haman was trying to do was without admitting that he was very petty, make it that it's a, it's a problem of the Jews that they don't observe the king's decrees. But really it was just a personal vendetta and he just hated Mordechai and by extension hated everyone who reminded him of Mordechai or whatever. 
In the case of, uh, of the Syrian Greeks, they really believed that their culture was superior and that the Jewish people's culture was wrong and was standing in the way of their ability to spread their culture. It's more like, um, it would be more like, let's say, like what the communists uh, did, you know, killing all of the free-thinking intellectuals and uh, things like that. And, you know, and whether it was in... Uh, let's say in the Soviet Union or whatever, uh, where they, you know, where they killed people who had different ideas than them. Because they want, not because they, you know, they were all of the same, let's say, ethnic backgrounds. They were all of the same, you know, stock, but they were culturally, but some of them had different ideas and they weren't communist ideas, so they would kill them because it would interfere with their ability to uh, impose their ideology. It was more like that. So they saw the Jews as like the resistance against their ideology and that's what they had against them. But, um, but in the case of other cases of anti-Semitism, like, uh, let's say, Nazism or, in, or Haman's plan, at least as it was implemented, or Paro's this, the, you know, interest in, in getting rid of the Jews, that was more because they were a foreign group that were you know, infiltrating, uh, infiltrating the homeland and they didn't want that. Uh, not because they, not if, even if the Jews said, we'll be very loyal Egyptian citizens, it, would, it wouldn't have worked. Or we'll, we'll be very good Germans. You know, you know, how many Jews went to the concentration camp wearing their German uh, military outfits from, uh, uh, you know, their uniforms from World War I? They didn't care that they were good Germans. They, they, still, they still killed them. Whereas the Syrian Greeks, they were really was about ideology. And so in the, um, and that's why the Kohanim are the ones that fight. But I think that's why this Mizmor is the Mizmor of Hanukkah and the Mizmor of dedicating the Beit HaMikdash because it, was, it doesn't just talk about salvation. It talks about that salvation enables me to praise God. It enables me to realize my purpose of serving God. And that's what the Beit HaMikdash represents. But that's also, and that's why even when the Jewish people are coming through the uh, Yam Suf, they say, Mikdash Hashem Yadecha. Because, you know, this salvation is going to lead to the establishment of a Mikdash, of a of a sanctuary where God's name is going to be sanctified. And the same, and, and that, that was the ultimate goal of Jewish history. That's why David HaMelech so wanted to uh, build the Beit HaMikdash, because that was the ultimate objective of Jewish history from the time of, of Abraham Avinu even, and certainly from the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, to have this kind of institution created. It was the dream that they had all those years. And so when the Hashmonaim rededicated, again, they have the same concept in mind. What is the value of the war? Is the value of the war that we scored a victory against our enemies or that we weren't shamed by them or that we didn't die? No, that's not the value. The value is that we have the ability to go on praising God in the highest form through the Beit HaMikdash. And that's why they, uh, that's, that's what the connection is, I think, between Mizmor Shech Hanukkah the David and the story and the dedication of the first Beit HaMikdash as well as the rededication in the case of Hanukkah. So it's something to think about and I think that's so, it's, it, you see that also we light the Hanukkah and it's always related to a house, right? Either in Israel they light it out right outside the door or it, right in the window or somehow connected to the home because the idea is that our homes also should be a place that is, that uh, should be places that are dedicated to sanctifying God's name. You know, they're also like a Beit HaMikdash in a way. If we live properly and, the, and Jewish values and Torah are still, um, uh, you know, are, are preserved and are, 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 you know, embodied in our homes, then really our homes become like a Beit HaMikdash also. They're participating in that same idea. Because the Chashmonaim 
saved Judaism from the Syrian Greeks, our houses can still have the light of sanctifying God's name in them even to this day. And that's the beauty of what Hanukkah is really supposed to be conveying, that that, that light goes on. You know, not just that we survived. Okay, you survived. Many things, physically surviving is not that great if you don't have a purpose. But when you have a purpose, it really gets, then it has meaning and then it has, then it has significance. And that's, that's what it's about. Okay? I think, that's, uh, I think it's something to think about. That's what we should be thinking about in Hanukkah. What is the value of our survival? You know, if we, if, if we don't have that, then just the physical survival, it's not, uh, it's not worth as much as it, as it would seem. All right. Okay. So let's let, meet up next week. I don't know what, what our topic will be. Uh,